research that changes lives. Four simple words inspiring researchers at the University of Leeds to reshape the world. I am Professor Simone Boutenay. Since arriving at the university in 2020 as Vice-Chancellor, I've been amazed by the passion, creativity and ingenuity of the research community to make a difference. Having the opportunity to exercise choice is really you know, key to palliative care and that individualised care that supports the person in the last few months of life. We need to learn from the mistakes that we've made and we need to learn from the instances where prevention of atrocities work. I think the COVID-19 pandemic actually forced us to become a little bit more digitally literate, although I do think we still have some room to kind of continue growing. One of my priorities has been to learn more about the sheer range of research carried out by early career researchers at Leeds. They are the new generation of world changers, people working tirelessly with communities and academics around the world on finding solutions to seemingly intractable problems. Over the course of this podcast series, I will be in conversation with those researchers. Join me as our world changers describe new discoveries and approaches that will make the world a better and more equitable place to live. It's about research that changes lives. Thank you for listening to this World Changers podcast. I'm Professor Simone Buitendijk, the Vice-Chancellor. In this edition, we will be looking at the environmental impact of medicines. Pharmaceutical drugs have revolutionized healthcare, but they come with an ecological cost. Byproducts from pharmaceutical manufacturing and pharmaceutical use are contaminating the environment. What risk does this contamination pose for human health wildlife, and importantly, the development of superbugs, which are resistant to antibiotics. To explore this issue, I'm joined by Dr. Laura Carter, Associate Professor in Soil and Environmental Chemistry in the School of Geography at Leeds. She is mapping the way chemicals from medicines are flowing through the environment and is helping to identify ways they can be controlled. Laura, thank you for joining us. Thank you. So we'll get into the detail of your research very shortly, but, but in headline terms, could you tell me what your research is doing and how it's revealing this double-edged sword of medicines? Yes, absolutely. So medication is, is really a crucial element of almost every type of care that we receive. And pharmaceuticals are one of the most common forms of, of healthcare intervention. And I'm not suggesting that because of these identified environmental costs that we need to stop using medication. What we really need to do is fully understand the risks that are associated with their inadvertent release into the environment. And with this understanding, we can tackle the issues through improved regulation or the development of less hazardous alternatives, for example, or even through the introduction of measures to, to minimize any risk. And research is, is really crucial to identify what the issues are and then to ensure that we're targeting our solutions to, to where we need them most. Yeah, thank you. It's such important work you're doing. 
And it, it's interesting. I think your your interest in this area was was sparked, was awakened when you were an undergraduate student and you became aware of the invisible pollutants, as you call them, I think, from pharmaceutical production and use. And, and can you tell me what it was exactly that you were discovering? Yes, yeah, so I was um, part of a, a summer internship at a, a water company and I became interested in, in water quality and pollution because we were able to detect chemicals in the environment and we were seeing effects in organisms, but we couldn't see the contamination. So you couldn't see pills floating around in the rivers. So it was part of my um, undergraduate project. I then was able to take this, this further and looked at the accumulation of um, drugs into aquatic invertebrates. So I looked at the accumulation into to water snails. And this is really where I guess my interest in this started. Wow, that's really fascinating. So, so your research at the moment, I think, focuses on especially, especially on understanding the pathways that are putting these contaminants into the environment. And you've described pollution from medicines as ubiquitous. And what exactly do you mean by that? I mean, I know what the word means, but, but you must have a, a research explanation for the word ubiquitous. What does it mean for you? Uh, well, most pharmaceuticals are, are not very persistent, but the problem is that you have this continual addition to the environment in small, but significant amounts and this continual influx, despite their degradation and removal by the various processes causes this pseudo persistence. And this is the result. Um, is the development of this complex pharmaceutical pool in, in many natural environments. And in the past three decades, I believe pharmaceutical residues have been discovered in almost all environmental matrices in every continent. So this is including things like surface water, groundwater, soils and sediments. And this is why we refer to them as ubiquitous contaminants. Yeah, and I, I know one of your examples, actually, I had no idea that the, there was an issue that was so widespread indeed, now, is about the effects on wildlife. And that was for me completely new. And you use an example of the vulture population in parts of Southeast Asia. Can you talk a little bit more about that? I think what's really important to point out here is the fact that drugs or medicinal chemicals are designed to be biologically active and to elicit a, a therapeutic effect. And this potency is not lost when these chemicals enter the environment. So they can interact with receptors in organisms such as fish or plants, and then they can initiate this toxic response. And in the, the case of the vultures and, and diclofenac, this is just one example of, of a toxic response. So. Diclofenac is an anti-inflammatory medicine and it's routinely prescribed and available over the counter as well. But it's also prescribed to animals as a veterinary drug, um, including cattle. And it's now transpired that this medicine was toxic to vultures, even in small doses, because it resulted in kidney failure. So in India, in Pakistan and, and Bangladesh, they saw a sharp decline in vulture populations in some cases it was over 99% and it was found that the vultures were being contaminated after they um, ate, ate the, the carcasses of cattle that were given the drug. 
Um, so it's been suggested that millions of vultures has, have died as a result of this exposure. Well, and then do you know if these populations are, are back now in numbers since that has been discovered? No, they're not. They haven't fully recovered. Um, and we've also found the presence of Diclofenac residues in vultures in um, European vultures now as well. So it's, it's uh, not a problem that's just consolidated to, to Southeast Asia. Sweet, really important work. So Laura, let's talk a little bit about your research in India. Can you tell me exactly what you're doing there? So the majority of the world's antibiotics are produced in pharmaceutical factories in India. And the waste released from these manufacturing plants ultimately ends up in the environment. And this is mainly through the discharge of effluents into to rivers. And this river water can then be used to irrigate agricultural landscapes. And this often happens after the waste has received little or no treatment. And this creates an enormous potential issue as the more we expose bacteria to antibiotics, the faster they evolve the resistance to the drugs, which means that we're unable to, to use them to treat infections. So we're interested in quantifying the presence of these contaminants in the receiving environment, so in the waters and in the soils where the irrigation water is used to determine what is present and at what concentrations. And then we're collaborating with microbiologists at the University of Birmingham who are going to explore the impacts on the microbial communities. Yeah, so that's, that is a major issue. So you're, you're specifically looking at in your research at the way these microbes, microbial communities, populations are changing? Yes, so this is a, a joint project combining environmental chemistry and, and microbiology expertise um, across the UK and India. And our project is, is built on the idea that this um, release of this waste, this antimicrobial production waste, results in a whole suite of chemical compounds being released into the environment, which have the potential to have significant effects on microbial ecosystems. And this creates a selection pressure for the evolution of antimicrobial resistance. Are you, are you able to tell us anything about the early results of this project? We've had some um, quite significant delays due to, to COVID, but we've actually started a monitoring campaign in India at the moment. And we're sampling environments into which antibiotic production waste is released. And then we're comparing this to pristine environments. And this will allow us to determine exactly what effect the waste has on the microbial ecosystem. So specifically, does it kill all the beneficial bacteria to only leave the harmful resistant bacteria alive? So our first samples from India have arrived in Leeds and we're working to determine how much of the active antibiotic is present in the samples but also what other potentially toxic chemicals are contained within the waste. So it's too early to have any specific results, but hopefully in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I'll have to talk again at some point. And, and I'm 
curious why as to why the contaminants are being released um, from these manufacturing plants. Is that lack of regulation or no enforcement or why why is this even happening? This is a, a difficult question and it's scenario specific, but I think it's the combination of, of both the lack of regulation and regulatory enforcement. So where regulation is in place, it's often disjointed between regions within a country and not properly financed and supported to ensure long-term compliance and where you have treatment options available, these are also not funded. So maintenance and operational efficiency of the, the treatment systems are quite poor, which then means that you have this release into the environment. Yeah. And I've understood from your essay that it's not just the waste and from plants that's contaminating the environment. It's also that when humans use a medicine or when I guess when it's used for cattle or whatever, then the bodies excrete residues and that these, those can then pass into sewage systems and the environment. And can you talk a little bit about that, the pathways into the environment? So the human use pharmaceuticals, their consumption and subsequent excretion into sewage presents this pathway by which they can enter the environment following the, the use of wastewater treatment byproducts. So by this, I'm talking about effluents and sewage sludges. So effluents and sewage sludges can be applied to agricultural fields as a source of irrigation, but also um, as an agricultural fertilizer. And use of slurries and manure on land as an agricultural fertilizer also provides a route by which um, veterinary medicines can also enter our soils. And these drugs can move from the soil into crops. And this is something that we have demonstrated here at Leeds and research elsewhere as well is looking at the impact on wildlife in, in rivers and on fish. So the drugs are ubiquitous in the environment and can really have an effect on a whole suite of species. Apparently there's no way for these, these sewage treatment plants to remove them medicinal waste, is there? So the, the sewage plants were not specifically designed for the removal of pharmaceuticals and, and they do not completely remove all pharmaceutical residues. So remediation efficiencies can be less than about 10% in the cases of pharmaceuticals such as aspirin or the anti-inflammatory that I talked about in relation to the vultures diclofenac. So wastewater treatment plants are unable to fully degrade the medicines because they're generally designed to handle other contaminants. That being said, some treatment options do result in a reduction in the concentration of these chemicals. So for example, some antibiotics, but in general, the removal is very dependent on the medicine in question and the type of treatment process. Well. And do we know what the impact of this issue in some human health? So in terms of human health, this is only something which we've done um, theoretically with some calculations to consider human exposure. Um, but studies else, elsewhere have shown that in some countries, following the consumption of produce, which has been irrigated using reclaimed wastewater, drug residues are getting into humans 
as they've detected the active pharmaceuticals in the urine. So this, an example, would be the anti-epileptic drug um, carbamazepine in this case. So, so how can we try and control all these problems? Because they sound so big and overwhelming. In terms of solutions, I think promising options include really the better management and storage of waste. So for example, um, animal manures and fecal waste are really great resources. They're nutrient rich and they offer promising alternatives to, to chemical-based fertilizers to support nutrient demands. And reusing these resources aligns also to concepts of a circular economy. So if we manage these resources properly, um, such as through composting or enhanced treatment, and their application to land happens at the right time, then this can result in, in minimal environmental contamination and provides a means of disposing of this waste. We also have work underway in my group at the moment, looking at the role of plants in the cleanup of medicinal residues. So from a phytoremediation perspective, and I think the cost effectiveness of this approach is really important to consider in countries, for example, where you may not have sewerage infrastructure or advanced treatment options in the first place. I think it's also important to consider the, um, ability to influence behavioral change, to improve and to manage the disposal of unused medicines. Because if you're able to do this, then you're effectively eliminating or reducing the potential for these drugs to enter the environment in the first place. But I think what's really key to all of this is the need for a, a transdisciplinary approach to, to make sure that we're coming up with the most promising solutions. So our expertise in, in my group is around environmental chemistry, but we need to work across disciplines to develop these effective mitigation measures. Yeah, it's a great example of how important it is to bring all disciplines together. And so yeah, this still is quite a large task. And you're one of the University of Leeds world changers. And um, do you have any idea? Um, yeah, how, how confident are you that we can identify the solutions and, and how long do you think it's going to take? Where would you start? I think, as I said in the beginning, what we need to identifying solutions is to first understand the risk. So there's been a wealth of research published on this topic since I started in, in this field, but the environment is inherently complex. It's a dynamic system. And then to add on top of this complexity, um, medicinal ingredients comprise of thousands of chemicals that have the potential to enter our environment. So it would be a much too far greater task to develop solutions for every exposure scenario possible. So we need to think creatively and focus our efforts on, on the greatest risks. So thinking about which of the medicines are most persistent and which are the ones which are most toxic. And this is really core to my, um, UKRI future leaders fellowship. So the planned research is designed to fill these knowledge gaps and we have prioritization exercises underway, which are helping to really understand where the greatest risk is. So I guess coming back to your original question, I'm confident that we're undertaking the research needed at the moment to make 
the solutions to this problem possible. Great. I'm really happy you're saying that. And there's, there's another reason I think we need to be concerned because the, there is a possibility also of increasing microbial resistance, which is also a huge problem I've heard from one of the other world changes. Is that right? Yes. So the development of resistance is a, a natural phenomenon. Um, however, we know that the exposure to antibiotics can accelerate this process. So the extensive use and, and misuse of antimicrobials in humans and animals is increasing the development of antimicrobial resistance. And this has really escalated it into a global health problem. But what is less clear cut is the role that antibiotic contamination in the environment plays in this process. Although under a One Health approach to, to antimicrobial resistance, the connectivity between the environment and humans is acknowledged. That's great. Well, thank you, Laura. This has been an incredibly um, important conversation from my perspective. You've really shared a lot of insights. I'm really proud you're at the University of Leeds and we're one of our world changers and think it's a very worthy title for what you're doing. And I hope you're going to kind of be with us for a long time to come and that we can keep supporting you in this research. Because I do think it can actually change the world if you keep doing what you're doing. So thanks a lot for this, this conversation. Yeah. Being really curious to find out what your research has has brought up. So, so please get in touch when you have more results. Thank you. It's been great to have the opportunity to talk to you. Thanks, Laura. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the University of Leeds. To find out more about the work of our early career researchers and to read essays written by World Changer researchers, please go to the World Changers page on the university website. Details can be found in the information that accompanies this podcast.